The system of power turns like a wheel. You can rise to the top through money or steel. You could lift up others or leave them in muck. But it's the poor who will suffer when the wheel becomes stuck. If the problems aren't met with any solution, the wheel must turn in bloody revolution. The vermin will rise as the predator sinks. Let's see then if the fox can outsmart the lynx. I don't know much about him. My friend said she's only met him a handful of times. He was there on the balcony when I met the Empress, though, and I'm fairly certain he was the one who delivered my invitation for the ball. If I've learned anything, it's that we cannot afford to underestimate him. Lillian studied the faces of her audience. Mr. Atticop looked deep in thought, his mind cast back into a past he thought long gone. Cassandra, the blade for hire, who was here on Mr. Atticop's invitation, looked more confused than pensive. She shook her head. The name is not familiar, but I agree with you. Anyone capable of embedding themselves so highly within the Empress's court cannot be trusted, especially if they're not of noble birth. And seeing as I don't recognise the name... She trailed off, letting her experience speak for itself. Lillian looked over at her friend and mentor. His face was a map of past pains and newly opened scars. I know the name. He spoke softly, as if Telson himself were within earshot. But I have never met the man. You're both correct, of course. He seems to be the mastermind behind this guiding hand business, so to speak. A man who puts his faith in symbols and secrecy does so because he has no confidence in himself, his family, or his friends. No doubt he has convinced himself that those who follow the guiding hand are doing some great service to the world, but they're just the same. Mr. Atticop's tone took on a dark, rasping quality. These were old grudges, and Lillian and Cassandra both sensed the shadows of his past creeping into the basement like unwelcome guests. His gaze fixed itself into the middle distance, not really looking at anything but seeing a million images all at once. Follow me, they say. Trust the eye, the fist, the sword, the hand. This book, passage, or poem will bring you peace. But beware, they say, there will come those who doubt us, and they are the enemy now. Trust none but those who wear the symbol. I've met these men, and while this one might be better connected than most, they're all the same. Cult, leader, holy man, wise whisperer, truth speaker, I've met them all. 
They want all the trappings of power, but none of the responsibility of fairness and equality. The Empress is just the same, and though she'll spin some sob story, she will undoubtedly tip her head willingly as he pours poison in her ear. He turned his sharp and focused eyes to Lillian and froze her with a chilling look. I'm getting a better idea of who he is every day, and judging by last night's events and everything that has happened, my theory is as follows. They have something on me, that much is certain. Some old grudge or fear, perhaps. That is why Cassandra was sent to Ben Luna, to make sure I did not return to put a spanner in their works. But not only did I return, I came back with you and your fearsome four-legged friend. That changed things. Now they seek to separate us, divide and conquer. They forced me into hiding and soon you'll have soldiers at your door asking you ever so politely to escort them to the palace so that the Empress can have her prize. Out of nowhere, Mist Atacop moved at lightning-quick speed, hitting out and striking the surface of the table to his right. The speed and sound made Lillian and Cassandra jump. Well, I won't let them. As the moon is my witness, I shall not roll over. They have done nothing but stir my ire, and now I'm forced to retaliate. So, are you with me, ladies? I remind you that I'm not like this man, Telson. I do not threaten or force people to fight with or for me, but if my fight is the fight of the just, then I ask that you consider your parts. Lillian did not need much convincing. She had been fighting this fight since she arrived in the city. She nodded emphatically. I'm in, she spoke in a low and confident voice, remembering her new friend Genevieve's face and the way her voice cracked when she spoke of her situation. They looked to Cassandra. She was still leaning casually against the wall, her arms crossed. I will go as far as my interests take me, but my allegiance is to my order first and foremost, not you. Mr. Atacop shrugged. Good enough for me. He looked as though he was about to get to work right there and then, jumping into a quick walk and heading for a cupboard in the corner. Cassandra interrupted his trajectory. It's not just your fight, Cromwell. Mr. Atacop spun on his heel to look back at her. To take on Telson is to take on the Empress, the seat of power in Fridos, and indeed half of Elysium. I don't know if you visited Doma recently, but when discontent starts to brew, Empress Sylvia has a habit of crushing it quickly and with extreme prejudice. And that's many weeks' march deep into the country. Imagine how she will react when she senses revolution on her doorstep. Because that is what this is. Hold no doubts in your hearts. Cassandra turned her piercing green gaze to Lillian. To take down the Werdian, oust Telson from his place of power, and usurp the Empress? That's 
revolution, which means that even if you, if we do succeed, there will be a power vacuum. The city will plunge into chaos. People, many people, will get hurt. I know you've both considered this. I just want everyone to be clear of their role in the inevitable suffering that is to come about. Cassandra did not break eye contact with Lillian the entire time she spoke. Lillian did not flinch. She pictured the faces of the starving children she had seen resort to pickpocketing and stealing when she had arrived in the city. She remembered what it felt like to be that desperate, that hungry, and all the while knowing that nobles feasted until they felt sick. She thought about the fear she felt in her stomach every time she saw the flash of a dark green Werdian coat or the glint of a palace guard's pike. People shouldn't have to live like that, she thought, and so Lillian Lausanne didn't flinch. You're right to bring up the end of it, Mr. Atticop settled a little. I had considered it, but in truth only briefly. We will need the people's support, of course, and I have a few ideas as to how to go about getting it. But when the dust has settled and the system needs new leaders... He trailed off, letting the thought hang in the air. Cassandra looked over at him. A small smile appeared on his face. Well, if whatever replaces the Empress and her system is better than what we have now then we leave it alone. And if it's worse? asked Cassandra. Then we crush that, too. A heavy silence followed Mr. Atticop's proclamation. Lillian clenched her fist. The time for talking was drawing to an end. Cassandra nodded sagely and then let out a quick, sharp laugh. The day I left you alive on the side of that mountain... I was ashamed. I had failed my mission, and I retreated honorably. I see now that my shame was a necessary price to pay. You're both quite mad, but if anything is going to succeed in taking down the Empress and her precious system, then I think it would look very much like madness. She paused for a second, remembering that fate-filled day. The Werdian headquarters is in Lager Quarter. It's unmarked, but everyone knows which it is. Look for the only building on King's Road with bars on the top windows. It's made of the same brown limestone, but don't be fooled. The bricks were cut twice as thick and reinforced with iron rods. There's no sense in attacking head-on. You'd need an army. But there might be a way to disband the Werdian without killing them all or even hurting them. Cassandra stopped again, baiting her audience with a well-timed silence. And that is? Mr. Atticop, usually so patient, took the bait. Cassandra shot Lillian a cheeky wink. At the end of the day, they're doing a job. They might enjoy beating people up for not carrying the correct market permits, but that's by the by. Thankfully, the state is a little strapped for cash at this present moment. All of the Werdian wages are paid out at the end of the month from a coffer in the upper floors of that building. 
Now, I happen to know that it hasn't been filled in several weeks and isn't set to be filled for several more. Cassandra let her new co-conspirators fill in the blanks. Mr. Atticop looked at Lillian, his eyebrows raised in delighted surprise. So, if we take the money... Lillian had a go at completing the plan. Pretty soon, they'll be wondering how they're going to get paid for beating up farmers. And beggars, said Mr. Atcop. But yes, if that information is all correct... Um, excuse me, Cassandra interrupted. My information is always correct. It wasn't about me. Well, no, but that was diff... Look, it doesn't matter. The information is good. But you'd need to act quickly. Lillian nodded. The longer we wait, the more the palace might be able to convince them to wait for payment. She walked over to Mr. Atticop's desk and picked up a spider-shaped paperweight. A hundred scenarios were flashing through her head, and she needed something to look at so that she could think through them clearly. She breathed in deeply and let out a long sigh. Setting the spider down, she turned back to Cassandra and Mr. Atticop. It's risky. If we succeed, we have to rely on the fact that they won't work for free. I've only met a few Werdian, but they all seem particularly zealous. Are you sure they wouldn't just work out of, I don't know, a sense of duty? Cassandra smiled, shut her eyes and shook her head. No way. They are the Empress's hammer. Hammers don't get up and start hitting things of their own accord. I give it a week without pay and the whole place will fall like a house of cards. She spoke with such confidence that Lillian almost believed her. She made a mental note to never play Cassandra at Four Ladies. Lillian looked over at Mr. Atticop. He had his hands together like he was praying, but Lillian knew enough about him to know that he never asked the gods for anything. Cromwell Atticop made his own fate. He looked over at Lillian, bringing the tips of his fingers to his chin and looking unsure. It's a risk, he said. Lillian shrugged. Any plan involving taking down the Werdian is going to be risky. It's true that we don't want to hurt anyone if we can help it, and going for the coffers would certainly avoid physical harm. I say... Lillian paused and quickly went over every other possible approach in her head, just to be sure. I say we go for it. Mr. Atkop nodded. Agreed. Although, before we do anything, I would like to know one thing. He glanced over at Cassandra. How do you know about the coffers? Cassandra replied slowly, picking her words carefully. I heard about it from a reliable source. There were plans to rob the Werdian. There was even a date set. But the job was cancelled at the last minute. Too risky. That didn't fill Lillian with confidence, but she reminded herself that not everyone shared her and Mr. Atticop's particular set of skills. One risky job for a group of petty thieves might be a walk in the park for two people trained in gloaming. Cassandra clapped her hands and rubbed them together. Very well. I wish you both the best of luck. 
I shall return here in a few days for my cut of the profits. She began to walk towards the wooden steps to leave the basement when a thought struck her and she turned back. Unless, of course, you were to give me back my blade, in which case I could call it even here and now. A knot formed in Lillian's stomach. She was grateful to have left the snake-handle knife back in her room with Fretha. She looked to Mr. Atticop for guidance. His eyes were narrowed. That blade was won fairly. I'm not disputing that, Cassandra replied quickly, holding her hands up in front of her. I just feel like my information has been valuable, and I'd be happy to have that value met by the return of my poison blade. There was a silence. Cassandra shrugged. Think on it. She turned back to leave again, but something she had said had caught Lillian's attention. What do you mean, poison blade? Cassandra answered as she walked, taking the steps two at a time. The handle is hollow for a vial of poison. There's a hidden button that crushes the glass and drips the liquid onto the knife. It's a rare item, difficult to reproduce and quite old. Keep it for now, but once you have the money, I'd like to discuss its return to me. And with that, Cassandra whipped her hood over her head, smiled and disappeared through the trapdoor in the ceiling. Lillian thought about what she said. She had assumed the compartment had just been meant to hide messages or secret codes. The snake motif made more sense now. She looked over at Mr. Atticop, whose face had turned white as a sheet. Lillian, he said, when was the last time you checked on the essence in that knife? By the time Lillian reached her little attic room, she was out of breath. She hadn't quite sprinted all the way back, but she had certainly maintained a quickened pace. Her legs were heavy from the stairs up to her room, and she could feel patches of sweat forming under her arms. Fritha was delighted to see her, jumping off the bed and bounding over with all the day's pent-up energy. Lillian gave her a quick hug and some food before checking on the blade. She'd hidden it under her little desk, using a combination of string and a few nails. She knew that Fritha would probably be enough to scare off any chancing thief, but she wasn't about to take any risks with something so precious. Her hand closed around the handle and Lillian breathed a small sigh of relief. She brought the blade and its sheath out from under the desk, and carefully clicked the false snake scale until the handle popped open. No liquid seeped out. That was a good sign. Slowly, she parted the two sections and found the vial of lunar essence. It was intact, and Lillian could finally relax. The light of the liquid illuminated her palm. Knowing that it was their very last bottle made the already meagre amount seem even less. Lillian thought about giving it back to Mr. Atticop. It's not like she was able to do anything with it. She recalled the other night in the Starver Church, 
and remembered how she had broken down at the mere memory of home. She remembered Mr. Atticop's words, closed her eyes, and allowed herself to think of Kilda. She felt the cold glass in her hand and approached the memories with love rather than fear. She recalled his face, his laugh, and his manner. He'd had a way of looking at the world that she had found confusing sometimes. He saw the good in everyone. He worked hard to understand why people did the things they did, and if things didn't go his way, he still managed to see the funny side. A familiar lump formed in her throat, but instead of shying away from it, Lillian followed the feelings. She took a deep breath and tried to find the happiness in her memories. It took a while, but it was there. The days they'd spent playing by the river, the pranks they pulled in class, the games they made up on rainy evenings. The lump slowly began to disappear, and a smile took its place. Kilda was gone, but he was still teaching her, still affecting the way she saw the world. Lillian thanked him for that and opened her eyes. Fritha was sitting directly opposite her, her eyes wide and curious. Her coat shimmered into a beautiful emerald green and she let out a soothing purr, like someone was running a padded hammer along musical wooden bars. Lillian smiled. The lack of essence was worth this animal's recovery. She would have used the whole bottle if she'd had to, and would not have regretted it one jot. Lillian thought about what Kilda would have said if he'd known what she was about to get into. Robbing the Werdian, dismantling the seat of power. It all seemed a very long way from the little day-to-day -day troubles they'd faced in Ben Luna. But she had also come a long way. And she felt ready. Suddenly, there was a knock at the door. Not the polite knock of a friend worried about intruding, but a forceful knuckle that rapped hard two times. Lillian didn't recognize it, and she wasn't expecting anyone. Fritha seemed just as alarmed, but when Lillian showed her the hand signal to disappear, she obediently faded into the carpet. Who is it? she asked. She didn't need to be loud, the door was made of cheap, thin wood, and her room was not big. There was a small pause, and a man's voice replied. A message from the palace. Something about the sharp tone seemed vaguely familiar. Just a second. She tried to buy herself some time. Slipping the vial of lunar essence quickly up her sleeve, her current smock lacked pockets, she went back over to the desk and was about to hide Cassandra's blade again, but a worry stayed her hand. Something about that voice. Two more knocks came from the door, not sharp raps this time, but loud thuds. Coming! She tried to make it seem like she had been interrupted in the middle of dressing or washing. She glanced around in panic, not sure where to put the knife. Muttering a quick curse under her breath, she hid the weapon behind her back, and opened the door. Standing on the other side was an older man of average height. 
He wore a tall hat and a splendid purple coat. Pinned to the breast pocket, plain as day for all the world to see, was a brooch in the shape of a hand. Its polished silver reflected what low light there was on Lillian's landing. In his left hand, he held a cane, the top of which was adorned with a beautiful copper-coloured scorpion stinger. Lillian looked up and into the eyes of Nicholas Telson. He was smiling, an oddly charming smile, one practised over many years and used to ingratiate himself into any company, no doubt. She tried to not act too surprised, or even as though she recognised him. Last time they'd met, he'd been wearing a mask, so it stood to reason that Lillian shouldn't know him. Thankfully, she had been partly prepared, having recognised his voice through the door. Good evening, Miss Lausanne. Hello, Lillian replied quickly, trying to ignore the knot of fear forming in her stomach. His eyes quickly glanced past her, scanning the room beyond in a flash before falling back on her. Pardon the intrusion. I was informed of your visit to the palace court this morning and have been sent to inquire as to why you did not fulfil your obligation to the Empress. Lillian scrambled for an excuse. This sudden appearance had caught her off guard. I was told I had a week. You had more pressing appointments at court than a meeting with Her Majesty? No, I just... Apparently your pet was not with you. Lillian winced at the way he said the word pet, like it left a sour taste in his mouth. May I inquire as to why not? Lillian felt her patience begin to run out. You're welcome to inquire about whatever you like. Whether or not you'll get answers is a different matter. There was a pause. Lillian regretted being cheeky, but if there was one thing she despised, it was being bullied. Telson narrowed his eyes. Lillian thought he was about to launch into an angry tirade like her old schoolmistress, Madame Streng, would do every time one of her class would talk back to her. Instead, his expression softened into another, second smile, even more disarming than the first, and he softened his approach. My apologies, Miss Lausanne. I am under a certain amount of pressure from Her Majesty to see that your appointment is met, and I admit I let it get to me for a moment. He offered a small bow, and Lillian felt her temper cool. She did not allow her guard to slip, however. Cassandra's footlong blade was getting heavy in her hidden hand. May I come in? Lillian could not think of a reason to refuse him quick enough, and Telson was already moving past the threshold and removing his hat. She kept her eyes fixed on him and saw that his gaze shot from corner to corner, looking for something. Probably Fretha, she thought. Lillian shut the door and lent her weight on it. She knew that if she kept her hand behind her back, then Telson would know she was hiding something, so she put the knife between her and the door and kept it there with the weight of her body. 
She then crossed her arms in front of her and made herself look like she was waiting impatiently for this unwelcome guest to leave. Telson turned to her with a third smile, a settled smile shared with close friends. I don't wish to get off on the wrong foot. My name is Telson. I work with Empress Sylvia. It is my duty to make sure the Empress's wishes are fulfilled. Lillian said nothing. One of Mr. Atacop's greatest lessons had been when and where to rely on silence. People often reveal more when they are unprompted. Asking a question will only get you an answer to that question. Remaining silent reveals all manner of things. His voice echoed once again in her mind, and so she said nothing. I appreciate that meeting the Empress at the ball might have been an intimidating experience. We're not so detached at court that we are unaware of her reputation. I will say this, then. He walked about the small floor space, his cane tapping the wood a second before each step, and glanced at the various furniture and paraphernalia that Lillian had collected over her weeks in the city. His tone was calm and casual on the surface, but Lillian could sense the threats lurking in its depths. Empress Sylvia is nothing if not fair. Her reputation for cruelty is spread by those who have either broken the law or intend to damage her good name. He paused and looked back at Lillian. She got the impression she was supposed to say something. She kept her response short. I haven't broken any laws. He held her stare and searched her eyes. Lillian knew that looking away would undermine the lie. She, of course, had broken many laws, but she could not let him know that. His face was losing some of its friendliness as it searched hers for the truth. But with a quick breath and a glance up at the ceiling, it was back. No, no, of course not. I'm not suggesting you have. I'm merely saying that seeing as the Empress's word is law... To deny a direct request, particularly after having agreed to it, might be seen as treason. His eyes flashed on the final word. Lillian was not afraid. I still have a few days to fulfill the Empress's request. She tried her best not to speak through gritted teeth. Telson narrowed his eyes. So you keep saying... Lillian had had enough of this man. Are you saying that the Empress was wrong to give me a week? Maybe I should tell her when I see her that her close associates don't fully trust her judgment. Telson's face remained still, save for the smallest twitch in the corner of his mouth. The twitch became a fourth smile, sly and obsequious. Of course not. I wouldn't dream of such a thing, but nor would I be fulfilling my duties if I simply let everyone who came in contact with Her Majesty run around the city ignoring her direct requests. Lillian breathed in deeply, readying herself to let this pompous bureaucrat have it. 
Well, if your duties involve running around the city checking up on children, then I doubt very much Empress Sylvia... At that moment, she stopped speaking. Telson, only two steps away from her, moved with unnatural speed. He whipped around and brought the tip of his cane flying towards Lillian's temple. If she hadn't been on high alert, she would have undoubtedly been struck and knocked out. But thankfully, she managed to drop her head down and avoid the strike. The move meant that the knife came loose behind her. Lillian leant into the momentum of the dodge to twist round and grab its handle before it hit the floor. She continued to spin up and round, bringing the knife, still in its sheath, up to defend a second strike. A deft backhanded swing from Telson. The wooden cane and sheath met inches away from Lillian's left eye with a sharp crack. Both combatants brought their free hands up to the other ends of their weapons to reinforce the stalemate. Telson pushed forward, bearing his full weight down on little Lillian Lausanne. Enough games, Telson spat the words. He was so close, Lillian could feel his hot breath on her cheek. For some ridiculous reason, the Empress is fixated on you and that filthy animal you keep in your company. If it were up to me, I would run it through and feed it to the foxes." Lillian readied her right hand. You'll have to find her first. As quick as she had been attacked, she unsheathed the knife and thrust the blade up and forward. Telson was ready, however, and did the same thing. His cane had been hiding a thin sword inside it, and a quick twist and pull revealed the weapon. This time, it was the blades that met, and instead of a crack, they produced a high-pitched ringing. Telson twisted the first strike away and came back with two more swift slashes. Lillian was able to parry them both and even used the now-empty sheath to catch the second before it cut her upper arm. She kept her eyes trained on his, trying to anticipate his strikes by seeing where he was looking. Their blades clashed three more times and Lillian had to remind herself to keep breathing or else she would tire quickly. Occasionally, she would glance down at his feet, trying desperately to find a weakness in his stance, but he was too clever or experienced to reveal any such gap. Lillian was reminded of training with Mr. Atticop, but whereas her mentor acted like an immovable rock, this man felt more like fighting fluid metal. He moved with grace and even held his weapon with a soft grip, that is, until a millisecond before an attack or parry where the metal would harden at the point of contact into solid steel. If fighting Mr. Atticop felt like hitting a boulder, fighting Telson was like fighting a waterfall, one that could freeze in a second and rain weight and power down in the next instant. As Lillian ducked and parried in frantic panic, she knew she was outmatched. She wanted to call out to Fritha for help, but she could not risk her being revealed. Not only was she fighting a skilled swordsman, but Lillian was quickly figuring out that Cassandra's blade was not intended for trading blows. It was an assassin's knife, lightweight and thin. It parried Telson's numerous swipes well enough, 
but had far too little mass to give her reposts much clout. Lillian was still too young to be able to rely on her strength alone, so the tools she used needed to compensate for her weaknesses. Unfortunately, Cassandra's snake-handled blade did no such thing. Telson's sword, on the other hand, was perfectly suited to his body and fighting style. It could be hidden behind his back in a step and then whip out in a flash. Blink and you wouldn't just miss it, you'd be dead. Lillian's eyelids were beginning to stick with sweat. She twisted out of an attempted disarm and countered with a kick. Telson was ready for it, however, and dodged out of the way by bringing his feet together and swinging his waist out to the right. The move was coupled with a downward slash and Lillian saw a streak of red on her leg. She took a quick breath in and seconds later felt the pain from the cut. She blocked Telson's follow-up punch, but was too shocked to think ahead more than just a few moves. Telson whipped his blade up and knocked Cassandra's knife out of her hand. It flipped three times in the air before embedding itself in her desk with a dull thud. Lillian's eyes were drawn to the sound, but as soon as her attention came back to Telson, she realised that the tip of his sword was at her throat. She could feel its needle-sharp point scraping her skin every time she breathed in. Telson did not seem out of breath at all. His voice was calm, but all of his smiles had disappeared. Tomorrow afternoon, fifth bell, you are to be at the palace gates. You will bring your slobbering beast with you, and the Empress will finally put this idiotic project out of her head. Do you understand me, Lillian Lausanne? Lillian was loath to respond. She felt the tip of Telson's sword press against her skin with a surgeon's precision, enough pressure to be felt, but not so much as to draw blood. Do you understand? Telson repeated the question through gritted teeth. Yes. There was a short pause, but once Telson was satisfied that she was telling the truth, the sword whipped away with a whisper swish and was being slid back into the cane before Lillian felt comfortable enough to move again freely. Good. Then I shall see you both tomorrow. And please don't think of running or being late. The next time I have to ask... I will not be so polite. He placed a delicate hand on Lillian's shoulder and moved her aside, clearing his path from the door. The whole visit, including the outbreak of violence, felt to Lillian like he found it to be just another laborious logistical task. It was as if Telson had been asked to clean a particularly tough stain. He walked past Lillian, opened the door, and even had the cheek to tip his hat before replacing it on his head. Have a good evening, Miss Lausanne. Lillian could only hope that her glare conveyed enough of her hatred as the door shut and Nicholas Telson disappeared from sight. All that was left of him was the sweet smell of perfume and a trickle of blood on Lillian's leg.
Hello! Thank you for listening to episode 40 of Ben Luna. Can you believe it? 40 episodes. Madness. <laughs> I'm Simon Maida, your reader and writer. The music was by Tom Figgins. Thank you to everyone who has been joining us on social media. I'm so sorry I've not run that competition yet. I'm rehearsing a Christmas show during the days and have to catch up on work in the evenings, so I'm very busy. I'm recording this, for example, just before dinner, which is very unlike me. But thank you all for listening and sticking with us through thick and thin, through all 40 episodes. Hopefully, we will get 40 more. Well, 40 more at least, I hope. <laughs> for now, Ben Luna is supported using public funding by the National Lottery through Arts Council England. Goodbye. <laughs>